Hello, fans, and welcome to This Day in Baseball, where we're going to bring you a full radio broadcast of today's game. And before we do that, I just want to thank Classic Baseball Radio, and there's a link in the notes where you can uh, check out their full channel. They have many, many great radio broadcasts. And while you're listening to today's game, if you want to check out much more about the game and the players, look on the links below, and you're going to see uh, links to player pages, the date the game happened, the year it happened, and the play-by-play. Enjoy the game, and check out the links while you're watching the game, and please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that every time new content comes out, you're going to get that uh, firsthand. And thank you again for checking out this day in baseball, and enjoy the game. This is WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. Farmer's Market Reporter, Let's Get Acquainted for Golden Mix, Cedric Foster for Montgomery Ward, The Three O'Clock Walgreen News, Meet Tommy Bartlett for Wholesome, and Words and Rhythm will not be heard today due to the World Series broadcast at this time. We acknowledge the courtesy of these sponsors who have canceled their programs today for the World Series broadcast that follows immediately. Carter Products Incorporated, sponsors of John J. Anthony, and the makers of four-way coal tablets, sponsors of Cliff Edwards. We take you now to Briggs Stadium in Detroit. Of sports is on the air. From Briggs Stadium in Detroit, Michigan, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon again, baseball fans everywhere. This is Bill Slater with Al Helfer and Bill Corum greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Detroit Tigers and Chicago Cubs get ready for their third game in this 1945 championship series. Men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Gillette, as you know, is on the air the year-round with on-the-spot reports of leading sports events, including the Kentucky Derby, football bowl games, and similar classics. Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week regularly every Friday night. And Gillette is going to broadcast this third game between the Tigers and the Cubs, and it'll be coming up in just a couple of moments. Each team, as you know, has won one game, so this is the rubber game up to this point in the series. The weather has been the big question in Detroit today. It was raining this morning, a slight drizzle. That stopped about an hour ago, and just about 15 minutes ago, the protective tarpaulin was taken from the playing surface of the infield down here, and although it's a dampish afternoon, with a blue haze settled down over most of this section of Detroit, obscuring the vision of the skyscrapers in the background and making it hard to follow fly balls out into the deep field in center field, left and right, just the same, I believe the game is going to get itself put into the book this afternoon. And if it does, this is the final day in Detroit, Michigan. There will be an exodus out of the Motor City tonight, and into Chicago will go the delirium of the 1945 World Series. And the Cubs will put on the white at-home uniforms, and the Tigers, when next we see them tomorrow, will be wearing the traveling gray. Uh, as far as the baseball that has been displayed in the series is concerned, it could be said it's run pretty close to form. Chicago is known for good pitching, superior speed offensively and defensively, and steady hitting. And those were the factors that won the first game for Chicago. Detroit is known as the possessor of excellent pitching, some pitching stars, and long ball hitters. And those were the factors that won yesterday's game for Detroit. 
So it's true to form at the end of two games with the series all tied up. The question as to who is going to win the series, well, that will only be decided by events, of course. People go around saying that in 28 out of 40 instances, the team that won the first game goes ahead to win the series. And then they turn around and point out that 10 years ago, Chicago shut out Detroit in the first game with Lon Warnicke doing the pitching. Then Detroit came back and won the second game with little Tommy Bridges, and Detroit eventually won the series with Bridges pitching that thriller for the fourth victory in the final ball game. So let's just wait and see. Incidentally, I'd like to say a word about the band that you heard as we came on the air that's been bringing us on the air with Take Me Out to the Ball Game Every Day. That's Billy Finzel's 45-piece band, and Billy Finzel has had his band here now for the seventh World Series. In 1907, 8 and 9, way back then when Huey Jennings was the mastermind of the Detroit Tigers, Billy Finzel had his band out there, and he has opened 43 American League seasons here in Detroit with Billy Finzel's band. It's good to have them here. And incidentally, since we shall be leaving Detroit today, I'd like to do a very, very sincere bow to the staff of CKLW, the mutual station here that has picked up this end of the series, and to their men here in the broadcast booth with us, Bob Henderson, Bud Lynch, Bill Carter, Dennis Robinson, and Charlie Lane. And we would be remiss indeed if we did not express our very sincere gratitude to Ed Fitzgerald of the Detroit Club, who handles the press arrangements here and has done us so very many favors. Well, that about uh, fills us in on the situation as we get close to the start of this third ball game of the 45 series. But uh, here present with his ever-present Boonville, Missouri smile is the well-known sports columnist, your friend and mine, Bill Coram, Bill from Missouri, come in. Thank you, Bill Slater. That's a fellow from those West Virginia hills, you know. Parkersburg, to be exact. I'll get even with him. And good afternoon, folks. I wouldn't want these World Series games here in Detroit to pass without my having said something about the group of blind service boys who are attending the series from a California military hospital as guests of the Hearst newspapers. These happy, smiling, having a whale of a time for themselves youngsters almost bust your heart when you see them around the press headquarters dining and club room on the streets or here in the stands of Briggs Stadium with their earphones glued to their ears. Earphones and a transmission system which the Gillette Cavalcade of Sports Broadcast has been only too happy and proud to be able to set up for them. I repeat, they're having a great time, and I'm sure that every person in these great crowds has felt honored and pleased to be a fellow spectator with them. For folks, these boys are the tops. No wonder our great country goes marching magnificently on. Coming back to baseball, it is doubtful if we'll see any such pitching in this third game as Virgil Trucks of the Tigers turned in yesterday. The sizzling sailor was faster than a short honeymoon, and whatever may happen this afternoon, he has made this series a contest again. For he'll be coming back at the Little Bears again down Chicago Way, as of course will Newhouse. Incidentally, although little has been said about it, Hooks Wise pitched a pretty sharp game yesterday himself. He made only two mistakes on my scorecard. He walked Mayo, and he didn't walk Greenberg. With two on, two out, and the score tied, I think that Hooks and back of him, Charlie Grimm, should have made Greenberg wait for the junior prom. Walked him, in other words. Which is, of course, second-guessing, which also, of course, is what I get paid to do. Today it's going to be the veteran Claude Passo, old number 13 in the points for the Cubs against Stubby Overmeyer, the homegrown Wolverine forkhander. Southpaws are not the Bruins' favorite dish either by any means. Still, they do beat them sometimes. We have another of those Michigan Miss on tap for this game, but tomorrow we'll be in Chicago, and the Chicago folks, fellows like Ed Burns and Johnny Carmichael, tell me that the sun shines in Chicago 365 days a year and 24 hours a day, maybe. Now, I'd like to say a little bit about the hitters here. 
Two games have gone into the records, and the leading hitters are with the Cubs so far. Stanislaus Hack, old Stanislaus, one of the great third basemen of the game, a grand ball player, always and now, and for many years, is up there with a 500 mark, is, as is Captain Phil Cavaretta, the Cubs. Mickey Livingston, the catcher, who only played in one game, also is hitting 500. Doc Kramer, another wonderful old veteran and steady going outfielder, is leading the Tigers with 429, which ties him with Swish Nicholson to the Cubs. And right behind him is the home run king and the big gun of the Tiger attack, Hank Greenberg with 400. And little Skeeter Webb is nailing that potato pretty good, too, with 375. So there's not much to choose with only two ball games gone. The Cubs having a slight edge and Hack playing one of the best games of his career, by the way, at third. We're always glad to see that because he has been such a steady and wonderful ball player. Kramer hasn't been quite as good in the field as might have been anticipated. He really has been one of the game's steadiest and uh, uh, best outfielders, you might say. Not the hardest hitter, but just a great outfielder right through his career. He's been a little unsteady out there in the field and seemed a little slow. But with the bat, he's been a tower of strength. And, of course, he started the Tigers off on that four-run splurge the only inning in which they've scored in the series so far, but enough to win that second game of the series. And that's that for now, fans. I'll be back to give you a quick summary of the highlights when the game ends. Well, most of you folks have probably heard the slogan for the new Victory Loan Drive. They finish their job, let's finish ours. Now that fits exactly a request that Uncle Sam was making to all community volunteers in war-connected jobs. A look around in your own community. There's still a desperate need for nurses' aides in hospitals and for all other Red Cross services. Selective service boards are busy processing discharged veterans. Workers are vitally needed to complete the 1945 harvest. And with the danger of inflation more serious than ever, price control board workers are very important. So if you have quit your volunteer job, go back to it if you possibly can. You have the experience to do the work efficiently, and it took weeks or months to train you. Let's finish up right. And now, baseball fans, here are the starting lineups for this third game of the 45 series. For the visiting Chicago Cubs, who are going home tonight, they hope with a victory tacked under their belts, the leadoff hitter will be the star third baseman, Stanley Hack. Batting number two will be Don Johnson, the second baseman. Batting third will be Harry Lee Lowry, L-O-W-R-E-Y, the left fielder. Batting fourth will be Phil Cabaretta, the first base star of Chicago for low these many years. C-A-V-A-R-R-E-T-T-A, -T -T if you're keeping a box score with us. Batting number five is the Wisconsin boy, Andy Pafko, P-A-F-K-O, the center fielder. Batting sixth is Bad Bill Nicholson, N-I-C-H-O-L-S-O-N, the right fielder. Batting seventh is Mickey Livingston, the catcher, who will probably be doing all of the catching now since Paul Gillespie twisted a knee in that ninth inning yesterday and perhaps will not be of service during the remainder of the series. So put in Mickey Livingston, number seven in the batting order, and catching for Chicago. Number eight batter is their shortstop, Roy Hughes. And batting number nine of the pitcher of the afternoon, the veteran Claude Passo, P-A-S-S-E-A-U, -S -S a sturdy gentleman from the state of Mississippi, who this season has won 17 games and lost nine. Despite his long career, Passo is a veteran. This is the first time he's had an opportunity to pitch in the World Series. He has pitched in all-star games, but this is the series, of course. So there's your Chicago batting order. Now here's the batting order for Steve O'Neill's boys from Detroit. The leadoff hitter will be the shortstop, Skeeter Webb. Batting number two will be the second baseman, Eddie Mayo. Batting third is the veteran center fielder, Doc Kramer, C-R-A-M-E-R. -E batting fourth is Big Hank himself, the big left fielder, Captain Hank Greenberg.
Batting number five is Roy Cullenbine, C-O-L-L-E-N-B-I-N-E, the right fielder. Batting sixth is Big Rudy York, the first baseman. Batting number seven is little Jimmy Outlaw, the third baseman, who lives in Jackson, Alabama, and has been doing a swell job here. Batting number eight is the catcher of the afternoon, Bob Swift. This will be his first appearance in the series. Swift is a Kansas boy. He hails from Salina, Kansas, and Swift will be in there catching this afternoon. He usually catches Stubby Overmeyer. Batting number nine for Detroit is their pitcher, short, stocky, Frank Overmeyer of Moline, Michigan. Overmeyer this season has won nine and lost nine, and he's a lefty on whom Steve O'Neill is placing all of his faith in this third and rubber game up to this point in the 45 series. Here are the umpires. At the plate, it will be Art Passarella of the American League, who is an Army dischargee, and of course, being an umpire, as you would expect, he served as a military policeman in the Army. Umpiring at first base is Jocko Conlon, that's really John Conlon, but everybody calls him Jocko. He's a National League umpire. Umpiring at second is the veteran Bill Summers of the American League. And umpiring at third is silver-haired Lou Jorda of the National League. So that's the manner in which both teams will take the field. Now, if you were a little late uh, coming in, or if you want to check again your box score, we'll run down the batting orders for you just once more. Number one hitter for Chicago, Hack, third base. Number two, Johnson, second base. Number three, Lowry, left field. Number four, Cabaretta, first base. Number five, Pafco, center field. Number six, Nicholson, right field. Number seven, Livingston, the catcher. Number eight, Hughes, shortstop. Number nine, Passo, the pitcher. And again, a quick check on the batting order for Detroit. Number one hitter, Webb, shortstop. Hitting number two, Mayo, second base. Hitting number three, Kramer, center field. Hitting number four, Greenberg, left field. Hitting number five, Columbine, right field. Hitting number six, York, first base. Hitting number seven, Outlaw, third base. Hitting number eight, Swift, the catcher. And hitting number nine, Overmeyer, O-V-E-R-M-I-R-E, -E, the pitcher. And now the Tigers have taken the field. And the leadoff hitter for the Chicago Cubs is about to come out here. And Roy Johnson, old hard rock, is in the coaching box at first for the Cubs. And Jolly Charlie Graham, the manager of the Cubs, is on his way down to the third base coaching box. And now in just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, we will have the playing of our national anthem. The Tigers are out there in their defensive positions on the field. York is at first, Mayo at second, Webb at short. At third is Outlaw, and left is Greenberg, and center is Kramer, and in right field is Cullenbein. On the mound now is Overmeyer, and behind the plate is Big Bob Sweat. Now, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. flies from the top of the tall flagstaff in deep center field and flagstaffs all around the roof of classic Briggs Stadium flies that most beautiful of all flags our own stars and stripes 
Now, uh, just before I bring in my colleague here, we're going to pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. And now to bring you his play-by-play description of the first four and a half innings of this particular action here in the third World Series game is the big boy whose hometown, incidentally, is Monongahela, Pennsylvania, though he lives in New York. Big Al Halfa. Al, here she is. Thanks, Bill. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Stubby Overmeyer is about ready to make the first pitch to a left-hand hitter, Stanley Hack. He does, and it's a curveball. It's good for a strike. So this third game of the World Series has now gotten underway. Stubby Overmeyer standing five feet seven weighing about 170 pounds, delivers again, and Hack takes. It's low and on the outside for ball one. So the count now on lead offer Stanley Hack is one ball and one strike. Hack stands very deep at the plate, crouches slightly, swings on this pitch, and foul tips it. Well, that's strike two. Stubby Overmeyer is 26 years of age. He was born in a place called Moline, Michigan, and he now makes his home in Grand Rapids. This fellow's a graduate of the Western State Teachers College back at Kalamazoo. Got himself a Bachelor of Science degree in 1941. Stubby kicks, throws, and there's a ball hit out into left field. Greenberg comes up to it and takes it nicely for the out. That's all for Hack, a fly ball into left field. Captain Hack Greenberg. Overmeyer fed a fast one on the outside that time that Hack dumped out into left field. So with one away now for Chicago, Don Johnson, her second baseman, who is hitting a 250 in the series, batting right-handed. Stands about uh, midway in batter's box. Overmeyer tries a fast curve on him. It's swung on, fouled back into the screen. His count is strike one. No balls, one strike. The outfield fans slightly around the left to this right-handed hitter. Webb is at short playing very deep. Overmar pitches. A curveball is hit down slowly to third. Jimmy Outlaw comes up with it on a skip, throws it into first base, and that's all for Johnson. Going out from third to first. So that's the second out here in the top of the first inning. There's no scores yet in this third game. The batter coming up now is little Harry Lowry. Peanuts so far in this series has had two hits and eight tries, so he, like uh, Johnson, is hitting at 250. He stands very deep in batter's box. Holds that bat way up in his right shoulder. Swings on a pitch and laces it very solidly out into left field. Hank Greenberg takes it on the first skip. Fires it into Skeeter Webb, the Detroit shortstop. And Lowry is on at first with a single drilled into left. So that's the first hit of this third game of the series. Now comes Phil Cavaretta, the star first baseman of the Chicago Cubs. And in the series, as Bill McCorum told you, he's hitting at 500 even. He has four hits for eight tries. Lowry leads off first. Overmeyer pitches to the plate, and it's a curveball low. And on the inside, the left-hand hitter, of course, that's ball one. One ball, no strikes. The count on left-handed hitting Phil Cabaretta. He crouches way over at the plate. Takes the next pitch low and outside. That's ball two. Lowry, who is pretty fleet of foot, steps off first base with big Rudy York straddled on the inside corner. Overmeyer stretches. Pitches to the plate, a curveball that steps off outside for ball three. Despite the fact that this guy, uh, Gavaretta, is a left-hand hitter, he still is not being played as a pull hitter into right field. They're playing him deep, nevertheless. Overmeyer throws a fast strike right through. 
That's the first one. That makes the count on Cavaretta, three and one. Charlie Grimm down behind third gets the attention of Cavaretta and yells something to him. Now Overmeyer is ready. The Detroit pitcher delivers. There goes the runner, and it's low for ball four. So Larry started to dig for second base. And then as soon as ball four was called on Cabaretta, he slowed down and moved into second easily. So that's the first base on balls given up in this game. Now the Cubs have runners at first and second. Lowry is at second, Cabaretta at first, and here is Andy Pafko, the right-hand hitting center fielder. He swings on the first pitch and hits a ball down to shortstop. Webb comes up with it and plays it right back to Eddie Mayo at second base for a force out on Cabaretta coming down for the third out in the inning. So for the Cubs here in the top of the first inning, it is no runs, one hit, two men left, and there were no errors. So at the end of the top of the first inning, it is Chicago nothing and Detroit nothing. Well, according to baseball experts, there are three basic pitches, the fastball, curveball, and slowball. Every great pitcher has all three deliveries, just as Gillette has all three requisites for utmost shaving luxury. Yes, when you soften your whiskers with Gillette shaving cream, lather or brushless, and breeze through them with today's Gillette Blue Blade and your Gillette razor, you enjoy the slickest, most refreshing shaves a man can have. Your face looks its best and feels great. Fans Gillette brushless and Gillette lather are superb beard softeners because they remove moisture-resisting oil from your whiskers almost instantly and blanket plenty of water against them. Every bristle gets a thorough soaking pronto. Enjoy the added luxury of shaving the all Gillette way. Prepare your beard with Gillette brushless or Gillette lather and skim it off with today's Gillette blue blade in your Gillette razor. Men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now for the last half of the first inning. It's a scoreless ball game between the Chicago Cubs and the Detroit Tigers. So far in this series, as Bill has explained to you, these two teams stand at one and one. Chicago took the first game on Wednesday, nine to nothing, and then yesterday Detroit came roaring back to defeat Chicago four to one. And now Claude Passo, the 36-year-old right-hander known around the trade as Old 13, is about ready to make his first pitch in the last half of the first inning. He's facing Skeeter Webb, the Detroit shortstop. The first pitch is made, and it's a fast, low curve under the knees for ball one. Webb has three for eight in his work at the plate in the series, and he's hitting at 3.75. Passo, a graduate of Millsaps College back in the year of 1932, gets himself ready again, twists, throws. There's a fastball hit right down to shortstop. Hughes comes up with it on a big skip, throws it into first to Cavaretta. That's all for Webb, going out from short to first. So that's one away for Detroit here in the last half of the first inning. Eddie Mayo hitting left-handed. He's had two for seven in two games, so his batting percentage stands at 2.86. He's a left-hand hitter, stands deep at the plate with an overly closed stance, which means simply that his right foot is very much farther forward and pushed down toward third. He stands almost straight up. Plate holds that bat high on his left shoulder. The outfield plays him as a pull hitter to right field. Passo twists, throws a fast curve in there for a strike. No balls, one strike. Claude Passo juggles that ball around in his mitt. Now takes his sign, delivers, and it's taken outside. It's ball one. 
One and one is a count on Eddie Mayo, the Detroit second baseman. Passo hiding that ball behind his back. Starts his pumping motion. Delivers a change of pace curve that floats in and over. Called strike two. No balls, two strikes. That's a count on Eddie Mayo. Second man up for the Tigers here in the last half of the first inning. There's no score in this game as yet. Livingston hangs a mitt out as a target. Ball is thrown in there and swung on. There's a foul ball out back of left field. That was a line drive. Hit about 10 feet foul out back of left. Bounced into the roll of canvas. Up against the field seats. So the count stays on Eddie Mayo. One ball and two strikes. Passo rubs a new ball briefly now. Art Passarelli, plate umpire, bends down over Mickey Livingston's left shoulder to get a good look at this offering. Passo throws it, and there's a ball hit down to third. Stanley Hack comes up with it nicely, throws it over to Cabaretta, and that's all for Mayo, bouncing out from the third baseman Stanley Hack to first baseman Phil Cabaretta. So two Tigers have been up here in the last half of the first inning and both have been taken care of by someone on the infield. Kramer's coming to bat now. Oh, Roger Duck. He hits him left-handed. Stands very deep at the plate. Passo throws him a medium-speed curveball. It's low for ball one. Passo, you know, was uh, born in a place called Waynesboro, Mississippi. He now lives in Lucydale, Mississippi. Very proud of his farm, too. He'll talk to you about it all night if you give him a chance. He throws now, and Roger Kramer swings on it. There's a long fly ball in the left center field. Andy Papko is over and takes it nicely after a long run for the out. And that's all for Kramer, flying out to his opposing center fielder, Andy Papko. So for the Detroit Tigers in the last half of the first inning, they go down in order, Webb, Mayo, and Kramer. No runs, no hits, nobody left, and there were no errors. At the end of one full inning of play here in the third game of the World Series at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, the score stands nothing and nothing. There has been just one hit in this third game of the series, and that was picked up by Peanut Slarry in the first inning when he slapped one into left field. So that's how everything stands as these two pitchers, Overmeyer and Passo, find themselves locked up in a pretty good-sized pitcher's duel at the end of the first inning. It's odd to note that both of these uh, men pitching this afternoon for their respective ball clubs are both college graduates and both have a Bachelor of Science degree. Now Nicholson steps in in the top of the second inning. Bills up for his first time this afternoon, hits left-handed. Overmeyer, southpaw, delivers. There's a snapping curveball outside for ball one. Hotfield plays more or less straight away to Nicholson, despite the fact he hits him left-handed. He tries to time the next pitch and slaps the grounder down to second. Eddie Mayo comes up with it nicely, flips it into first base to Rudy York. That's all for Nicholson. Going out second to first, so that's one away in the top of the second inning for Chicago. Hitting at 500 is Mickey Livingston. Paul Gillespie caught yesterday, but here today it is Mickey Livingston doing the hind snatching for the Chicago Cubs. He's a right-handed hitter, stands very deep in batter's box, sort of hugs up on it from behind slightly. Overmeyer. Looks at him, then throws a fast curve high for ball one. Outfield fans around slightly to left to Livingston. Greenberg out and left is playing very deep. Overmeyer throws a change of pace curve. It's just above the letters of ball two. 
Two balls, no strikes. We're in the top of the second inning and no score in this game. A little stubby over Marge delivers a fast curve. It's swung on, and there's a high fly ball into right center field. Cullenbine is under this one, and he's got it easily for the out. And that's all for Livingston. A fly ball to Cullenbine in right field. That's the second out now in the top of the second inning in this scoreless ball game. That brings to bat shortstop Roy Hughes of the Cubs. He hasn't gotten a hit in this series as yet. He's gone 0 for 6. Crouches over slightly from the waist. Swings on the first pitch and doesn't get it. Strike one. Overmeyer had a high tight curve working close off the fingers. Frankie comes right back. There's a low curve under the knees of Roy Hughes for ball one. One and one is the count on the Chicago shortstop. That's Roy Hughes. Overmeyer delivers a fast one. And this is just outside for ball two. Two balls, one strike. Two outs, top of the second. The score, Chicago nothing, Detroit nothing. Overmar kicks, throws again. A speed, medium speed curveball. It is fouled back of third base and over into the field seats. So the count is now two balls, two strikes on Roy Hughes. With two down here in the top of the second inning and the base is empty, it's Roy Hughes at the plate. He has a count of two and two. He takes the next pitch, low and under his knees. That's a skip rope to keep from being hit by the pitch. And his count now runs to three and two. Three balls, two strikes. Swift signs for the pitch. Overmeyer throws it. It's a fastball hit back to shortstop. Skeeter Webb comes up with it. There's his quick throw to New York, and it's in time. That's all for Hughes going out from short to first. So in the second, nothing across for Chicago. And at the end of one and one-half innings of play, the score stands Chicago nothing and Detroit nothing. Well, here, fans, is the old Fordham Flash, Frankie Frisch, dynamic manager of the hustling Pittsburgh Pirates. Frankie used to play a lot of second base for the Cards years ago, and in my book, he ranks with Eddie Collins, Lazuey, Hornsby, and other immortals of the Keystone stack. Frankie Frisch, come on in here and tell the fans about the sharpest razor blade on earth. Sharp is right, Al. The Gillette Blue Blade is plenty sharp, yes, and mighty easy shaving. Well, would you say that the Gillette Blue Blade is number one with the Pirates, Frankie? Yes, sir, by all odds. That's because you can always count on it for the slickest, easiest shaves a man can have. That's putting it straight, Frankie Frisch. By the way, folks, Gillette Blue Blade should be easier to obtain now. And remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Right here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, we're going into the last half of the second inning of the third World Series game here in 1945. And out on the mound, Claude Passo for the Chicago Cubs, kicking dirt and getting ready. And the first man up is going to be the fellow that put the game on ice yesterday for Detroit, Big Hank Greenberg. And gee whiz, did he hit one yesterday. Hank coming up there, he has two for five for the series, including that home run, so he's hitting right now at 400. Passo looks him over, delivers him a fast curve that slides off outside for ball one. One ball, no strike. That's the count on Hank Greenberg. First man up for Detroit in the last half of the second inning. Passo works again. It's a curveball swung on a miss. A strike. And Greenberg really had distance. And he swung that time. He spun all the way around when he didn't get it. The outfield is playing very deep to Greenberg. Lowry in left field is back almost on the skin surface. Back up in front of the screen in left field. 
Andy Pafko is deep in left center field. Paso pumps once, throws a sidearm delivery that's a crossfire and in there for a strike. No balls, two strikes is a count now on Hank Greenberg. The first man up for Detroit here in the last half of the second inning. With this gray overcast sky and a hazy day this afternoon, Paso and Overmar both look exceptionally fast. Paso's delivery is a high curve on the outside to Greenberg to level his count now at two balls, two strikes. Hank trying to loosen up his shoulder muscles. Sort of jiggles him up and down. Now waves his back back and forth. Paso gets ready for this 2-2 delivery. He twists, throws a sidearm curve that's outside for ball three. Now the count on Greenberg is three and two. And Hank said last night that it felt like old times. The boys were throwing him a lot of fast curves and dusting him off, throwing him close up against his body. Said it made him feel right at home. Well, there's a 3-2 count going now. We'll see what happens. Passo throws. Greenberg swings, and there's a high foul ball up and back. Mickey Livingston comes back for the screen, and he can't get it. It's about four feet up on the screen. So the count stays on Greenberg at three balls, two strikes. That Greenberg's a pretty likable fella. He's always got a pleasant smile for you. Always willing to sit and talk with you. He's like Charlie Grimm. Charlie really chew you off, too. Now Passo, who's very businesslike on that mound, puts his foot forward on the rubber, takes his sign from Mickey Livingston, looks around, checks his outfield. Now he's ready to throw three and two once more. Here it comes. It's swung on and missed for strike three. A high, fast curve on the outside. And Greenberg is struck out. That's the first strikeout here in this ball game. The batter now is Roy Cullenbine. Roy has sort of been handcuffed so far in the series. He's been up five times officially, and he's failed to get a base hit. He's been walked a couple of times, and that's not much to uh, Roy's liking. He likes to get a hold of that potato and swing hard on it. He's a left-hand hitter. Swings on this one, and there's a foul coming up almost into our mutual boot. Of course, that's strike one. Cullen Vine hitting left-handed against the right-handed pitching of Claude Passeau. When a left-hander works, Cullen Vine switches around, hits him right-handed. But it's figured he's probably a little better as a left-handed hitter. Now Passeau delivers a new ball, and it's a fast curve under the knees of Cullen Vine for ball one. One ball, one strike. The outfield is fanned around the right. Nicholson is very deep in right field, down pretty close to the line in right field. Passeau throws a curve ball. It stays high and outside. Columbine stops a moment to kick the mud out of his spikes. The count on Roy is two balls, one strike. Claude Passeau dries off his hand over the front of his uniform shirt. Now grips that ball firmly. Delivers to the plate. Swung on by Cullen Vine. There's a high fly ball going out into short left center field. Lowry comes over and calls for it, and he's got it. He nuts Lowry making the run down in the catch in left center. So that's two outs now for Detroit in the last half of the second inning. And the batter is Rudy York. The big first baseman has had only one hit in seven official appearances at the plate. So his batting percentage is below 200. As a matter of fact, he's hitting at 143. But I think uh, the thousands here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit and around the country 
All know that Rudy York can hit an awful long ball. They hit an awful long one yesterday for a long out. Papco really rubbed him with an extra base blow. Peso curves this big fella, and it's just high above the letters for ball one. The outfield, very much respect. York's hitting ability, so they're playing him very deep. The right-hander leans over the plate now. The right-hander on the mound, Peso delivers and drives a curve in there that backs up York. That's ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two outs, last of the second inning. No scores yet in the game. Peso is working very deliberately this afternoon. Very slowly. Goes into position. Throws a fast curve. It's laced out into left center field. It's in there for a base hit. Rudy York turns to the left at first base, and then when that ball is fielded very sharply by Lowry, he returns to first with a single. That is hit number one off Claude Passeau this afternoon. And that was a spiked line drive, and there was no mistake about it being in there. It was really hit. So with two away, Rudy York singles to left center field. And here is Jimmy Outlaw, right-hand hitting third baseman. Opens his stance slightly toward the pitcher. Stands away from the plate and chokes up a little on the handle of the bat. Passo looks over his left shoulder, big Rudy York. Then delivers to the plate, and Outlaw takes a fast one, zipped in for a strike. No balls, one strike is the count on Jimmy Outlaw. This Tennessee gentleman is hitting at 250. He has two hits for eight at-bats in two games that have already been played. He's up for his ninth official at-bat right now. Passo delivers him, and Outlaw swings and misses. Strike two. No balls, two strikes. It's a count on Outlaw. Two outs here in the last half of the second inning. And Rudy York at first base. Matter of fact, Rudy is the first base runner Detroit has had so far. Passo checks him carefully, then throws a sidearm delivery to the plate. Outlaw started to go for it, but pulled up. Took a curveball outside for ball one. One ball, two strikes. York doesn't take much of a lead at first base. He's not particularly fast on his feet. So he'll be waiting to see what Jimmy Outlaw does at the plate. Passo carefully sets into position. Looks at York. Now throws side on to the plate. Outlaw swings, and there's a high fly ball out into center field. Andy Pafko tears up under it, and he's got it. And that's all for Outlaw. Fly ball to center to Andy Pafko. So in the second inning for Detroit, no runs, one hit. One man, Rudy York, left at first base, and there were no Chicago errors. So at the end of two full innings of play here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, the score stands nothing and nothing between Detroit and Chicago. And at the end of two innings, the totals look something like this. No runs, one hit, no errors for each side. As we go into the top half of inning number three, the first man up for the Cubs is going to be the pitcher, Claude Passeau. Claude's a pretty fair hitting pitcher. He'll be taking his good old time about coming out there. While we have the opportunity, for you folks listening in, let us set the Detroit Tigers for you defensively. Stubby Overmeyer, who has won nine and lost nine in the American League season, takes the mound for this third inning. Behind the plate is Bob Swift, his battery mate. Rudy York is at first base. At second base is Eddie Mayo. At shortstop, Skeeter Webb. At third base, Jimmy Outlaw. 
Out in left field for Detroit is Hank Greenberg. Doc Kramer is in center, and in right field is Roy Cullenbein. Now Claude Passo hitting right-handed with his feet wide spread apart. Steps up there. Old 13 holds that bat way down to the end. Overmeyer southpaws this one in there, and it swung on and missed for a strike. Passo was after a high curve that came right across the lettering. Overmeyer starts that delivery to the plate again, and again Passo swings, and again he misses. So Claude has gone for two high curves now and missed them both. <coughs> His count is no balls, two strikes. First man up for Chicago in the top of the third inning. Overmeyer kicks and throws again. It's a high outside curve this time for ball one. One ball, two strikes. The outfield uh, has fanned around very drastically to left to Passo. That's where he hits most of his base hits. He swings on this next pitch, a change of pace curve that Overmeyer had nicely had in there, and Claude Passo took a double hitch in his swing before he fouled it off. Passo even grinned as he turned around and looked back toward the Chicago bench. One and two. One ball, two strikes. The count on Claude Passo. Overmeyer has briefly rubbed the new ball, and he's ready. Stubby pumps, delivers. A fastball swung on and missed for a strike three. And that's off Passo. That's the first strikeout for Overmeyer. Now each pitcher has hung up a strikeout. Starting the second batting around for the Cubs is Stanley Hack. There's a nice funger, too. There's a funger that's always got a smile for you and always got something funny to say. Overmeyer delivers this left-hand hitter, and it's a curve high for ball one. Hack is 0 for 1 in this game, and he's starting the second batting around for Chicago. Overmeyer delivers. There's a fastball hit uh, back to shortstop. Webb comes over to his right, picks it, throws to first just in time, and that's all for Hack. Going out from short to first. Skeeter Webb gets around at shortstop pretty well. The batter now is Don Johnson, Chicago's second baseman. Johnson came up in the first inning. And was thrown out by Eddie, uh, correction, was thrown out by third baseman Jimmy Outlaw. He hammered one down to him. Now, Overmeyer pitches this right handed hitter and gets a nice curve in for a strike. No balls, one strike. Two outs, top of the third, no score in this game. Overmeyer works, and there's a ball swung on. It's a high pop up back of first base. And just in foul territory, Rudy York grabs it for the out. Well, that's all for Johnson. That's all for the Cubs here in the top of the third inning. There's nothing across for them. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. So at the end of two and a half innings of play, it's the Cubs nothing and the Tigers nothing. When the old hit and run clicks, it may win a ball game. But fans, there's just no percentage in putting up with the hit and run shaves a fellow gets with run of the mine razor blades. No, sir. Not when you can count on the Gillette Blue Blade to give you, as Pirate Manager Frankie Frisch puts it, the slickest, easiest shaves a man can have. This blade has the sharpest edges ever produced. So sharp, so smoothly finished, so easy shaving, that you just skim the stubble off. And what's more, those edges are hard enough to cut glass, so they stay sharp for one comfortable shave after another and save you money. Ask your dealer for Gillette Blue Blades five for a quarter. They should be easier to obtain now. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. 
Now we're ready for the last half of the third inning. And here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, these two teams are locked up in a nothing-and-nothing battle for this third game of the series. Bob Swift hitting right-handed, making his first appearance at the plate as a hitter. He's a pretty good-sized fellow. Legs wide spread apart. Pretty good-sized pair of shoulders on him. Hits right-handed. Passo delivers. The ball is swung on. There's a high foul right to the right of the plate. And it fades over into fair territory right in front of the plate. And the catcher Livingston grabs it for the out. And that's all for Swift. So he pops up and out to catcher Livingston. The round of applause is for Overmeyer. Stubby comes walking up to the plate. Despite the fact he throws left-handed, has quite an assortment of curves, he does all his hitting right-handed. Stands very deep at the plate, legs wide, spread apart, holds that bat way down by the end. Passo curves him and gets it in there good for a strike. No balls, one strike on Overmeyer. Passo over his head easily, cuts the next pitch loose, and Overmeyer's after it. There's a foul ball up into the second tier behind first base. That makes a count on Overmeyer. No balls, two strikes. Last half of the third inning. No score between Detroit and Chicago. Passo, after monkeying around slightly, delivers the plate. Overmeyer swings on it, and there's another foul ball down the right field line. This one goes back into the second tier behind right field. There's always a scramble. So the ball's hit into the stands here at the series. Quite a scramble. The count stays on Overmeyer at no balls, two strikes. The infield is playing in very close. Now Passo has taken his sign from Livingston. Delivers to the plate. There's a fastball hit right back to the mound. Passo knocks it down. After it, picks it up. Puts it into Cavaretta just by a spike. And Overmeyer is out. Passo didn't know exactly where that ball had gone. But Overmeyer had hit it right back to the mound. And more in a defensive measure than anything else, Passo threw his gloved hand up. The ball hit his glove and stopped and dropped down to the left of the mound. And Passo made the play. So Overmeyer is out, being thrown out by pitcher Claude Passo to first baseman Phil Cavaretta. The batter now is Skeeter Webb. Webb came up in the first inning and was thrown out by shortstop Roy Hughes on a high-bounding ball. And now the Skeeter's up for his second try. He's a slender right-handed hitter, stands just off the plate, Bends over slightly from the waist. Works up well on the handle of the bat. Passo throws him a fast one. It misses just outside for ball one. Webb beats that bat down on the rubber of home plate. Pumps it back and forth a couple of times. Passo is ready once more. Delivers. Webb takes a curve that snaps off outside for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two out, last half of the third inning, no score. This is Passo pitching for Chicago. Delivers, Webb swings, and there's a high foul ball coming up here to the press box, just to our right, and it drops just in front of the press box onto the screen. Well, the count now on Webb is two balls, one strike. Claude Passo rubs a new ball briefly. Claude won 17 ball games in the National League this year while losing nine. Matter of fact, uh, Charlie Grimm didn't expect that Passo was going to be able to pitch for him at all this year. 
Claude certainly has been one of the contributing factors to the Cubs' success. He throws now, and there's a ball hit right back to the mound. Basso easily takes it, runs partway over to first, and then just sort of underhandedly flips that ball over to first base in time to get way up there. So that's all for the Tigers here in the last half of the third inning, and once more, it's nothing across for them. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. So at the end of three full innings of play, we've got a scoreless ball game on our hands here at uh, Briggs Stadium in Detroit. And before inning number four comes up with Lowry, Cavaretta, and Pavko as the hitters for Chicago, might be a very good idea to pause about ten seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever on. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Right back here now at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. And we're ready for the top half of the fourth inning. And in this first half of the fourth, the first batter for Chicago will be Peanuts Lowry. Harry got himself a base hit in the first inning. As a matter of fact, he has gotten the only hit given up so far by Frank Overmeyer. That was a single hit into left field. Peanuts steps up to the plate now, takes his usual batting stance, very deep at the plate, hits right-handed. Overmeyer, just about the same size and height, makes the first pitch. And Lowry takes it up to the peak of the cap for ball one. One ball, no strikes. This is the first half of the fourth inning. Detroit nothing and Chicago nothing. Overmeyer throws a medium speed curve that bites into the dirt in front of the plate. Bob Swift came up with it very nicely. Rosette makes the count on Larry. Two balls, no strikes. Lowry waits once more. Here comes Overmeyer's delivery. It's a fastball. It's good for a strike. Overmeyer just reared back and poured his fast one through there. This guy Lowry only stands five feet eight and a half, weighs 155 pounds, so he doesn't give you the impression of being a very big fella. He plays a good brand of baseball. Overmeyer delivers him. It's a high fast one for ball three. Three and one. That's the count on Peanuts Lowry. Overmeyer stands only 5'7", so we have a couple of little fellas working against each other right now. Overmeyer delivers three and one. The plate, it's swung on by Larry. There's a long fly ball deep into left field. Hank Greenberg goes back, and it's up against the screen in left field. Larry is on his way to second. Greenberg picks up, throws into Outlaw at third, and it's a double. For Peanuts Larry to open the fourth inning. He hit it off the screen in left field. That is hit number two off Stubby Overmeyer. Greenberg was over there to play that ball all right. He had it figured correctly. But it was up over his head up against the screen. 340 feet away from home plate. That was in fair territory, about 15 yards. The batter now is Phil Cavaretta. Overmeyer delivers him, and Cavaretta pushes a bunt back toward the mound. Overmeyer's play goes back to first base to Rudy York, and the sacrifice works as Lowry comes over to take his station at third. So Cabaretta, despite the fact that he was the National League's number one hitter this year, is ordered to sacrifice by Charlie Grimm, and he does. And that gets Lowry down there in scoring position. He can be gotten in if Pafko gets a fly ball out there. Pafko's the batter now, and he's 0 for 1 for his work this afternoon. The right-hand hitter gets ready. Overmeyer delivers him, and there's a high curve. Ball one. 
The Detroit infield is playing in almost on the grass. They're hoping, of course, to have the opportunity of cutting the run off at the plate. It presents itself. Over my throws, there's a fast curve that's very tight up against the hitter. Papco takes ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Peanuts Lowry leading off at third. One away in the top of the fourth inning. Chicago's threatening. Overmeyer delivers. There's a fast curve just off the belt buckle on the inside. That's ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Pafko flailing that bat around. Lowry comes off third base now as Overmeyer delivers. There's a low, fast curve under the knees for ball four. So Pafko is put on. That's the second base on balls given up by Overmeyer. He was pitching very carefully to Pafko. He didn't mind too much if he did walk him because, after all, there's one out here in the top of the fourth inning. And with a man at first base, it sets up an opportunity for the Detroit infield. Now Nicholson at the plate. Swings on the first pitch and misses for strike one. Bill hitting left-handed. Nicholson came up in the second inning and was thrown out by Eddie Mayo, the Detroit second baseman. Here in the fourth with the Cubs threatening. Lowry is on at third and Pafko is on at first. Second is open. One away. No score. Nicholson waits. Overmeyer delivers. And there's a medium speed curveball that's on the inside. That levels the count off on Nicholson at one ball and one strike. As we observed once before, the outfield is playing more or less straight away to Nicholson. Bill with his almost straightaway stance. That's from a very severe crowd. Overmeyer sets, delivers, Nicholson swings, and there's a ball hit out back of shortstop out into short left field, and it drops in for a base hit. In comes the runner from third to score. That's Lowry, and it's one to nothing in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Nicholson loops one out into short left field. Skeeter Webb tried to run that down, but he couldn't quite get to it. And as far as Nicholson is concerned, that is the fifth run batted in he's had here in this 1945 World Series. Lowry comes in to score from third with the first run of the game. And Andy Pafko on the play, of course, moved over to second and held on. That was hit number three off Overmeyer and run number one. The batter at the plate now is Mickey Livingston, the right-hand hitting catcher. And he swings on the first pitch, and there's a high foul ball up and back. Bob Swift comes over near the stands, and he can't get it. He's back about four rows. So the count on Livingston is no balls, one strike. It's a one to nothing ball game in favor of the Chicago Cubs. There's only one out. Now they have runners at first and second. Pafko is at second. Nicholson with his single is on at first. The right hand hitter to plate is Livingston with the count of no balls, one strike. Overmar delivers. There's a ball hit out into center field. Roger Kramer comes over under it, waits, and takes it for the out. Fires it in quickly, and the runners hold on. Well, that's the second out for Chicago here in inning number four. The batter is Roy Hughes. The Chicago shortstop came up once in this game today. That was in the second inning. And he was thrown out by shortstop Skeeter Webb of Detroit. So Hughes so far in this series has gone no hits for seven tries. The Chicago runners now take their leads. Patco at second and Nicholson at first. Overmeyer delivers to the plate and Hughes takes a tight curve right off his chest for ball one. Overmeyer still wading around in hot water. 
stretches, checks his runners, delivers to the plate. Hughes takes a curveball that bends outside for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Bob Swift signs for this pitch. Overmeyer nods. He'll throw it. Here it comes. It swung on. There's a long foul ball down the right field line and back over near the seats. Well, that's a strike. <laughs> One of the spectators tried to field that ball as it hopped up against the low railing out behind uh, right field. He fell right out onto the field. Well, the count on the hitter at the plate, that's not getting away from him, is Hughes. And his count is two balls, one strike. Runners at first and second. There are two outs in the top of the fourth. Overmeyer tries a curve that's just under the knees of Hughes for ball three. Three and one now on this right-handed hitter. Overmeyer checks once more, sights, serves, and there's a ball hit out into right field and it drops in for a base hit. In comes Andy Papko with the second Chicago run. Well, it's a base hit to right field. A little looping fly ball that dropped in for single and Papko, very fleet of foot, moved around third and Charlie Grimm says, go ahead, boy, I'll see you at the plate. That's just exactly where Papko wound up. So that is hit number four of Overmeyer and run number two. And on the play, Nicholson moved down to second and held on. The batter coming up to the plate, and I imagine feeling much better about the entire situation, is the pitcher, Claude Passo. Claude came up in the third inning and struck out. We have the same situation here in the fourth. Two outs, runners at first and second, third open, and Passo waiting. Over my throws, and Passo takes a high fast one for ball one. Score is two to nothing in favor of the Chicago Cubs. We're at the top of the fourth inning. Two down and two on. Overmeyer throws a fastball. It swung on and missed by Paso for strike one. One and one is the count on Paso. Overmeyer delivers. Paso takes an inside curve just off his hips. That's ball two. Two and one. And it's getting a little grayer now and a little more hazy here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. Ever-present threat of rain. This ball game is going right along. The two-and-one delivery by Overmeyer is swung on by Passo and missed for strike two. And Claude was really after it. That makes the count on the Chicago pitcher, Passo. Two balls, two strikes. Two on, two out in the top of the fourth inning. And the score, two-nothing Chicago. Overmeyer throws a fastball, swung on and missed for strike three. Well, that gets the Tigers out of this in the fourth inning. That's the second strikeout for Overmeyer. And here in the fourth inning, two runs for Chicago on a total of one, two, three hits. There were two men left on, and there were no errors. So at the end of three and one-half innings of play, the score stands Chicago two and Detroit nothing. When the Athletics, trailing eight to nothing, batted out 10 hits and made 10 runs against the Cubs in the seventh inning of the 1929 series to win 10 to 8. They made an all-time record in no time. Now, fellas, that's the way Gillette Brushless turns it on against tough beer. One, Gillette Brushless removes moisture-resisting oil from your whiskers pronto. Two, Gillette Brushless holds a barrel of water against your face, keeping your beard soaked and softened all the time you're shaving. 
Gillette Brushless is superior in other ways, too. It's greaseless, rinses instantly, and can't clog your razor or wash bowl drain. Also, it lubricates your razor blade and protects your skin and leaves a swell aftershave feeling. For extra shaving speed and comfort, ask your dealer for Gillette Brushless. If he's out of stock today because of wartime shortages, he'll have Gillette Brushless soon. Now the last half of the fourth inning. It's a two to nothing ball game in favor of the Chicago Cubs. And the Detroit Tigers will be sending Mayo, Kramer, and Greenberg to bat here in the last half of the fourth in that order. Mayo's coming up for his second time, and he's over one this afternoon. He was thrown out the third baseman Stan Hack back in the first inning. The left-handed hitter once more standing deep at the plate. Passo throws a medium-speed curveball that's high and on the outside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. This is the last half of inning number four. Passo works back to the plate. Mayo takes a fast call strike, zipped in just above his knees on the inside corner. Passo checks his sign once more, then delivers to the plate, and it's a low curve that bounces into the dirt just in front of the plate. Ball two. Two and one is a count on Eddie Mayo. Eddie moves that war club back and forth. Passo pitches, and it's swung on. There's a ball hit to the right of Bill Cabaretta. He drives out, makes the pickup, and from his position on his side, throws to first to Passo covering, and Mayo is out. There's a fielding play for you. And Cabaretta actually dove out to his right and bounced on his side as he made that stop. And from that position on the diamond, he threw to first base to Claude Passo covering for the out. That's one out for Detroit here in the last half of the fourth inning. The batter now is Doc Kramer. He sent a fly ball to center field in the first inning that Andy Pafko took care of. Now the left-hand hitter opens his stance a little bit more toward first. Passo juggling that ball around in his mitt. Now takes it. Delivers to the plate. There's a ball hit out into left field. Now he's going back and right on the skin surface of the infield. Turns and makes the catch. Kramer's out. So that's the second out here in the last half of the fourth inning. The Chicago Cubs are leading the Detroit Tigers two to nothing. And hope springs eternal in the breasts of the Detroit fans as Captain Hank Greenberg comes up to the plate. Greenberg struck out in the second inning. Big right hand hitter standing just off the plate. Holds that bat way down by the knob. Passo won't be taking too many chances with Hank, I don't imagine. He throws a fast curve that zips in and over. A called strike. Greenberg watched that one cut the plate just above his knees on the inside corner. Hank takes the next pitch, and there's a high curve just off the point of his chin. That levels the count out to Hank at one and one. One ball, one strike. Last half of the fourth inning, two outs, nobody on. The Cubs leading Detroit, two to nothing. Passo easily goes into pitching position. Throws a fast one in there that's swung on by Greenberg. There's a high foul ball up back of left field. The shortstop Hughes comes over and tries to get under. His feet almost go out from under him, and he can't make the catch. The ball drops behind him. That was a high foul ball. 
about 15 yards in foul territory out behind left field. And Hughes made a long run for it, but overran the ball. And then when he tried to stop and sprag himself down, his feet almost shot out from under him. And he couldn't get himself back to make the catch. So that's just a long strike to Greenberg. No balls, two strikes is a count on Hank now. Lasso is ready. Takes his sign from Livingston. That outfield is really playing deep to Greenberg. Lasso delivers. Hank takes, and it's high for ball two. Two balls, two strikes. Lasso kicking a little dirt with his spikes down there to mound, getting it all smoothed out. Lasso has not only had trouble with his right arm, his elbow, but he's also had some trouble with his feet has to have specially constructed shoes. He delivers now, and Greenberg swings. as a fly ball going into left field. Lowry comes up to it easily and takes it easily for the out. Well, that's all for Greenberg. And that's all for the Tigers here in the last half of the fourth inning. No runs, no hits, nobody left, and there are no errors. So at the end of four full innings of play, it is two runs on four hits for Chicago, and they've committed no errors. And for the Detroit Tigers, no runs, but one hit off Claude Passo. He's been pretty tough in four innings, and there are no errors chalked up against Detroit. Well, tonight and every Friday night is fight night on the air. If you have rosin in your veins, and what man hasn't, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports. Enjoy the major boxing event of the week blow by blow. Consult your daily newspaper for time and station. Just before the game started today, Commissioner Happy Chandler invited several wounded vets to sit in his box along with Mayor Kelly, Mayor Haig, and Staff Sergeant Vince Garrity, the ex-Cub Bat Boy. And they're down there now having themselves a whale of a time. Well, let's see now. We're going into the top half of inning number five here at Briggs Stadium. The first man up is Stanley Hack, and Overmeyer is about ready to pitch him the first ball. Down it comes, and it's a fast curve that slides off outside for ball one. Overmeyer, two runs behind as Chicago leads 2-0. Delivers, hack swings, and there's a foul ball laced back of third up into the third tier. Now the count on hack now is one ball, one strike. Old airless Stanislavski, they call him. He's quite a guy. Overmeyer gets ready, delivers him, and hack hits a foul ball outside of third base, and Charlie Grimm feels it, picks it up, hands it over to Outlaw, the Detroit third baseman. Overmeyer gets ready with this one and two delivery. Makes it. Hack swings on it. And there's a lofty fly ball going out into left center field. Doc Kramer comes in, calls for it. Greenberg allows him to take it, and he's got it for the out. Well, that's all for Hack. Either Greenberg or Kramer could have made that catch. Kramer kept calling for it, and Greenberg kept yelling Kramer's name. You could hear it clear up here. Kramer came on through and made the catch. Now here's Don Johnson. Second baseman. He swings on the first pitch offered him, and there's another fly ball to center field, and again, Doc Kramer's under it. Very easily takes this one for the out. Now that's the second out here in the top half of inning number five. The batter is Peanuts Lowry. Well, Harry's been up there twice this afternoon, and they haven't been able to get the young fella out of there. In the first inning, it was a single into left field, and in the fourth inning, he hit one over Greenberg's head up against the screen in left field for a double. Overmeyer fires away at the plate. 
And Lowry takes a curve high and outside for ball one. Two outs, top of the fifth inning. Cubs at bat, and they lead two to nothing. Overmeyer serves it up, and Lowry takes it under his knees low. That's ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Lowry moving around in batter's box. Takes the next pitch, and it costs him. It's right in there for a strike. Overmeyer changed up on him and fed him a change of pace curve. Lowry leans over. Holds that bat high behind his right ear. Overmeyer delivers a fast curve. Swung on and missed. A strike two. Overmeyer's curve ball was on the inside corner that time, just off the fingers. The count now on Lowry. It's two balls, two strikes. Overmeyer delivers. And Lowry swings on one. There's a little looping fly ball going back of shortstop. Webb goes back on the grass and snags it for the out. And that's all for Lowry. And that's all for the Cubs here in the fifth inning. And it's nothing across. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. At the end of four and a half innings of play, the score stands Chicago two and the Detroit Tigers nothing. When the Yankees defeated the Giants 18 to 4 in 1936, they ran up the biggest score in serious history. That, of course, was something. But once you in on this, then the world famous easy shaving Gillette Tech Razor is coming back again on dealers' counters all over the country. Your dealer may have one today or tomorrow or next week. So keep an eye peeled for the Gillette Tech Razor you and plenty of other fellows in town have been waiting for. It's on the way with all metal gold-plated head plus five super keen Gillette blue blades at the popular pre-war price of only 49 cents. What shaves you get, how quick and how easy and how smooth and refreshing. Yes, happy shaves are here again. Ask your dealer for your Gillette Tech Razor with five perfect shaving Gillette blue blades at 49 cents. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the last portion of the number three game in this 1945 World Series is a fellow I'm very happy to call a very good friend of mine, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Slater, who will do the last portion of the ball game that's about to pick up in the last half of the fifth. Bill? Thank you, Al Hopper. Let's just settle for mister, huh? Right. Although it costs more. All right, Cullenbine, the right fielder of the Tigers, comes up there. Big fellow who's a switch hitter and bats left-handed against right-handed pitching. This fellow, Cullenbine, has been up six times in the series so far. He hasn't had a hit yet. He's been walked twice, and he's hit hungry. Claude Pesso delivers to him. Cullenbine swings on it. There's a foul coming up to the left, and I think it's going over into the stands. It is. So that's a strike on Roy Cullenbine. Claude Pesso rubbing the ball up out there. He's one of the few pitchers that's allowed to rub it up with his gloved hand. That's because he has three crooked fingers on his left hand. Came from a gunshot accident a long time ago when he was a kid, about 16 years old. Well, Paso has had to overcome a lot of things. Gets ready to pitch Cullenbine. Roy takes it low. Ball one. Cullenbine's a pretty good-sized fella. Stands six feet, weighs between 190 and 200 pounds. So there's a lot of Cullenbine. Passo delivers. Cullenbine swings on it. Hits it on the ground down to first. Cabaretta has it. There's the race to bag, and Cabaretta wins. Cullenbine is out. One out for Detroit now in the last half of the fifth. Chicago leads two to nothing. Claude Passo up to this point has given up only one hit. The batter is the fellow who got that one hit. That's Rudy York. Came back in the second inning. Sliced out a single to left center field. 
That was Big Rudy's second hit of the series. York crowds the plate just a trifle. Passo delivers to him. It's good. A fast call strike on the inside corner. One strike on York. Big guy York is of German, Irish, Indian descent. He's a sort of a walking League of Nations. Pitch to him is good. Another curveball that came sweeping over there with tremendous zip just above the knees. Two strikes now on York. Big Claude Passo kicks the dirt around out on the mound a trifle. He's got sharply chiseled chin, very stern jaw. The pitch to York is swung on. A high foul comes up and back into the stands. Two strikes on York. Yeah, Billy Corm almost caught that one, but he missed it. He caught one yesterday. Been giving us that Boonville, Missouri baseball training of his ever since. Two strikes is the count on York. One out. Nobody on. Last of the fifth. Chicago leads two to nothing. Tesso is ready now. Here it comes. York swings on it, hits it on the ground, down to shortstop. Roy Hughes has it. The throw over to Cabaret is in time by four strides. York is out. Shortstop to first. Two away for Detroit now in the last of the fifth, and up comes Jimmy Outlaw. Jimmy bats right-handed. He's had two hits out of nine times up in the series. He's a plainsman from Auburn, down in the state of Alabama. Got a four-year-old son, Perry, who was here at the series, incidentally, watching Papa play. Now, little Jimmy is ready. Takes one low. Low and inside for ball one. It's drizzling just a trifle. Not very much, sort of a misty wetness. And a very misty day with a blue haze settling over everything here in Detroit. Here's the pitch to Outlaw. He takes it outside, ball two. Two and oh now on Jimmy. Two out, nobody on. Home half of the fifth. Passo bouncing the ball up and down in his glove. Is ready. Here it comes. Outlaw takes it. It was good. Fast call strike above the knees on the inside corner. And Art Passarello, the plate umpire, shoots that right hand of his up in the air as fast as anybody I've ever seen. Jerks it right back down again as if it were on a spring. He's a decisive Army MP type. That's what he was. Pitched Outlaw swung on. There's a ball hit right in the air. Down to Roy Hughes at shortstop for the out. So Outlaw is out on a line drive to the shortstop, and that's all for Detroit in the last half of the fifth inning. Nothing across for the Tigers, and the Cubs lead by a score of two to nothing. Well, you know, just as you at home are listening to this game play by play, our soldiers and sailors and Marines overseas are sitting at radio sets listening to it by way of the far-flung network of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This program is being shortwaved at this moment from San Francisco and New York by 13 powerful networks. It's being picked up and rebroadcast by many stations of the Far Eastern Network in the Philippines, Okinawa, Japan, and China. The Pacific Ocean Network in Iwo is in on it, too, and in the Marianas, the Gilbert, and the Marshall Islands. The Mosquito Network in the South Pacific and to the Armed Forces in the Aleutians, Alaska, and the Caribbean area. To the Armed Forces radio stations in the Mediterranean and Italy and the Persian Gulf Command, and on through the American Forces Network to troops in the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Austria, and to our outposts in Greenland and Iceland. There's also a special shortwave relay from Honolulu to Saipan. Thence on to Japan by medium wave. Men with shortwave receivers can listen directly to the best of several transmissions. 
all over the world this broadcast is going to our men. And of course, we're very happy that it is. Now we move into the top of the sixth inning. And the first batter for Chicago will be Phil Cavaretta, their star first baseman, who has been defensively magnificent today. Here's the pitch to Cavaretta, who hits left-handed. He hits it down to Rudy York. Rudy scoops it up, waves everybody away, steps on first, and one first baseman retires another. That was a hard-hit ball, and Rudy came up with it. Scooped it out of the dirt, raced over to first, and beat Cabaretta. So Cabaretta is out. One out in the top of the sixth. Frank Overmeyer rubs up to the ball, gets ready to pitch now to Andy Pathko. Pathko was very hot the first day, but he hasn't hit since then. That's right-handed. Takes a pitch that's pretty close to his hip on the inside for ball one. This Pathko comes from Wisconsin farm folks. They live up in Boyceville, Wisconsin. He's of Slovakian descent. His parents came from near Prague. Here's the pitch to him. He swings on it. There's a slow roller down toward third, going foul. That's a strike on Andy. One ball, one strike. We call him Andy. Charlie Grimm, as I mentioned yesterday, calls him Trishka. So Trishka gets back to bat there. Overmeyer, left hands his delivery in. Low into the dirt. Ball two. Overmeyer, short, stocky, square shouldered, delivers again. Tafka swings on it, hits it hard down to Jimmy Outlaw at third. Jimmy has it, the throw over to York is in time. Tafka is out, third to first. That's two out for Chicago now in the top of the sixth. The next batter is Barrett Bill Nicholson. Big, pugnacious-looking fellow standing up there, batting left-handed. He's driven in five runs in this series, as Al told you. Overmeyer delivers. It's low. Outside, ball one. It was predicted that Nicholson might come to life in the series. Hasn't had a good season, but he's hot in the series. Fouls one off now. Taking a tremendous swing, he almost fell down after he fouled it. One ball, one strike on big, bad Bill Nicholson from Maryland. When he was a kid, he wanted to go to the Naval Academy at Annapolis, and color blindness kept him out. So he's a ball player instead of a Navy officer. As a ball player, he watches one that's just above his shoulders. A ball two. Two balls, one strike. Two and one on Nicholson. Two out, nobody on, top of the sixth. Frank Overmeyer delivers. Nicholson swings and misses. That was a clean miss. Here it comes. Nicholson swings on it, hits it down to York at first. Rudy has it, waves over my way, steps on first, and that's all for Nicholson, all for Chicago in the top of the sixth inning. Nothing across for the Cubs. And as we head to the last half of the sixth inning, the score is Chicago 2, Detroit nothing. Many of you fans remember how the Cards turned it on in 1934 to beat these Tigers 11 to nothing in the highest scoring shutout of series history. What a game it was. And four to three, the games. What a series. But bend an ear to the breeze, please. Four to one is the score when you're talking about Gillette shaving cream. Now get this right. Gillette shaving cream produces up to four times as much lather as other brands priced the same. Now, if you figure it as I do, well, that's the difference between 25 cents and a dollar. 
Yes, fans, and what a fast-acting, thoroughgoing beard softener Gillette Lather really is. It holds a barrel of water as a sponge does and releases it freely, soaking and softening whiskers in jig time for quicker, easier shaving. You get cleaner, smoother, longer-lasting shaves. Yes, your face looks better, and it feels better when you use Gillette Lather Shaving Cream. It costs just a quarter. Now the big raw-boned fellow from Mississippi, Claude Passo, is out there on the mound, getting ready to start the last half of the sixth inning. And the first batter who pitched to will be big Bob Swift from Kansas. And Passo is big, make no mistake about that. He stands 6'3", weighs 192 or 3 pounds. He's the big, raw-boned type. Bob Swift, second time up, popped up in front of the plate to the catcher, his first appearance. He bats right-handed, and he's a husky, too. Passo pitches a little too high. Ball one on Swift. This guy Swift is known as the best waffle maker of any major league ball player. Says he learned it down in Salina, Kansas, when he used to be a short order cook. Swift ignores that one. It's down low for ball two. Now Passo taking a little bit of time. He's 2-0 on the first batter here in the last of the sixth. Jiggles that ball in his gloved hand, grabs it, pitches it. Too high. That's ball three. Passo is waving that right arm of his around a little bit. Like a windmill, trying to limber it up. He hasn't walked anybody so far in this ball game. Here's the pitch. It's good. A fast one in there. Swift just stood and took it. Three balls, one strike now on the first batter in the last of the sixth. Passo still kicking up a lot of dirt there. He's nervous on the mound. Says he doesn't like baseball except when he's out there pitching. Then he likes it. Now after taking plenty of time, he's ready. This is a three and one pitch to Bob Swift. Swift backed out of the batter's box for a minute, figuring that Passo was sort of standing him up there. Now Swift is back in. Passo's ready to go. Here it comes. It's too high. Swift is wrong. We may have a pinch hitter for Stubby Overmeyer, who's scheduled to come up next. Here comes manager Steve O'Neill down to talk to Art Passarella. We'll see what's going to happen. No, I believe we're going to have a pinch runner for Bob Swift. Looks like Ed Borum going out there. So Swift getting the first walk of the ball game off Claude Passell is coming out now, and Ed Borum, played with some ball with Buffalo this year, is put on to run for it. That's B-O-R-O-M. Sky Borum hails from Spartansburg, South Carolina. So he's on as a pinch runner. As I mentioned, that's the first walk off Passell. He went five games in the season in which he didn't walk anybody. Now we've got a... Uh, Pinch hitter coming up here. Let's pick that. Uh, it's Hub Walker coming up. 40-year-old veteran coming up to bat left-handed. First pitch to him is a call strike. That's Harvey Walker. He's the older brother of G. Gerald Walker. Hub here served in the Army for almost two years. Left-handed batter. He made that crucial hit out in St. Louis, you know, the last Sunday of the season. That started things off for the Tiger victory that clinched the pennant for them. 
And so now this man has much experience. And long service in the Army is brought up here as a pinch hitter. Paso delivers to him again. And that is called strike two. Paso is moving around out on the mound there now. Baum running for Swift to his walk. Doesn't take much of a lead off first. A pinch hitter up for Overmeyer, so we'll have a new Detroit pitcher. Here it comes. It's swung on. There's a ground ball going down to second. Don Johnson has it. He touches Baum out, throws to first, and it's a double play. Baum says he wasn't touched. And now there's a bit of a run to lay on. That was a very neat bit of feeling by Don Johnson, the second baseman of the Cubs. That ball was hit right down to him. Baum was turned down towards second. And... Uh, Johnson took the ball, touched Baum, who tried to twist out of the way, of course, then threw to first in time to get to Cub Walker. He got him. It's a double play. Double play is scored. If you're scoring, four to three. Four is the second baseman. Three is the first baseman. That makes it two out. Detroit now in the last to sixth, and here's Jimmy Webb up, starting the third, batting around for Detroit. Webb hits right-handed. He's a Mississippian, too, same as Paso is. So a couple of sons of Mississippi are going at him. Paso pitches a call, strike to him. Paso, I told you, went to Millsaps College. Well, Jimmy Webb here went to the University of Mississippi. Webb hasn't hit in this game. This is his third time up. That's right-handed. Takes a pitch that's a little too high for ball one. One and one on Webb with two out and nobody on. The last to sixth. Very snappy Chicago double play. Of the unusual variety, just erased. Eddie Bond and Hub Walker. Paso is ready to go. Webb swings on it. There's a blooper going out into short right field. In comes Nicholson. He's under it now. He waits and takes it for the out. So Webb flies out to right field. And in the last of the sixth inning, there are no runs for Detroit. No hits. No base runners left on. And there were no Chicago errors. So that wraps up six full innings of play in this ball game. And Chicago leads by a score of two to nothing. Well, while we're getting ready for a new Detroit pitcher and a new catcher here in the top of the seventh inning, the new catcher will undoubtedly be Paul Richards. The new pitcher we haven't located as yet, and while we're about our job of doing that, suppose we pause ten seconds here for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGM Chicago serving the Middle West. The new pitch is going to be Al Benton, I believe. It looks exactly like Benton. He's walking in from that bullpen out there 440 feet away. He relieved in the third inning of the first game, you know, when Hal Newhouser ran into trouble. And Big Al is walking in there with that unmistakable stride of his. Benton, a Navy discharge, you know, is a sturdy fellow from down in Oklahoma. Benton, as we've often remarked, was handicapped considerably this year after getting off to a magnificent start following his return from Navy service when he was hit by a hard-batted ball off the bat of Rudy Estalela of the Philadelphia Athletics. Broke his leg, and Benton was laid up for quite a while, and even then came back to do some mighty fancy pitching for the Detroit Tigers. He has a queer assortment of pitches. Not too much fast stuff, but a lot of cagey stuff that he's picked up in his experience. I was talking to Georgie Sternweiss of the New York Yankees the other day about the stuff that Benton has. We were discussing it in connection with the fact that Benton, toward the tail end of the season, was unable to last in 12 straight ball games. And Sternweiss told me that uh, 
That was probably a combination of bad luck because uh, he had batted across against Benton many times, and he thought Benton had very superior and very good stuff. So that's Al Benton who was coming in here in the top of the seventh inning after Stubby Overmeyer was lifted for a pinch hitter in the last half of the sixth. And his catcher is going to be Paul Richards, of course. Bob Swift, as we told you earlier in the broadcast, usually catches Stubby Overmeyer. So when uh, a pinch runner was put on for Swift back there in the last half of the sixth inning, Ed Bourne went out to run for Swift. Why, that was a tip-off, the fact that very likely Overmeyer was not coming to bat, and there would be a new pitcher and catcher, a complete new battery for Detroit here in the top of the seventh inning, and that's just what we have. Benton was born at Noble, Oklahoma, and uh, he's 32 years old. He's a big guy, stands 6'4", weighs around 215 pounds. He's married, and his wife's name is Monetta, which is a darn nice name. Benton has hard gray eyes and blonde hair. He's Irish. All right, the big fella Al Benton is ready to go now, and the first batter to face him is Thompson Livingston from Newbury, South Carolina. Mickey bats right-handed, swings on the first, and there's a high foul up off the first base. Over goes York, but I don't think he can come up to it, and it falls right into the hand of a spectator just at the edge of the railing there. Nice catch, mister. Sign him up. That's a strike on Mickey Livingston. Probably no one in this whole stadium this afternoon is any happier than Mickey's 10-year-old son, Don, who came here to the series to see his father play in Major League Baseball for the first time, which is pretty good going. One strike is a count on Papa Mickey. Now it's ball one. One ball and one strike. Big Al Benton coming into pitch. Top of the seventh. Chicago in front, two to nothing. Livingston swings on one. There's a fly ball going out to deep right field. Back goes Cullenbein. Way back, way back. He can't come up to it. It bounces off the wall there. Here's Livingston heading for second. There's the relay in to Mayo from Cullenbein. And Livingston goes into second, standing up with a double. That's a double for Mickey Livingston. He hit it back over the head of Roy Cullenbein in deep right center field. It bounced off the railing out there. Cullenbein grabbed the ball. Heaved it into Eddie Mayo, who was lined up for the relay, but by that time, Livingston was at second. That is hit number five this afternoon for the Chicago Cubs. And the first man up in the seventh inning is in potential scoring position at second. Now the batter is Roy Hughes, who came through with his first hit of the series back in the fourth inning to drive in a run. He bats right-handed. Chokes up as if to bunt, but the pitch is outside. And the count is ball one. Now Big Al Benton, the sturdy guy from Oklahoma, gets ready. The infield of the Tigers is up, of course, anticipating a sacrifice. But the pitch is low and inside. Hughes has to back away from it. Ball two. So the Cubs are brewing a threat here in the top of the seventh. They lead two to nothing. Benton stretches, delivers. Hughes attempts to bunt, and it rolls foul on the ground behind the plate. Paul Richards, the tall Texan, picks it up. Flips it to the plate umpire, Art Passarella, who examines it, holding it up in front of his face, turning it over and over, you know, like the housewife inspecting an orange before she buys it. He says it's all right, and it's put back in play. Mickey Livingston is leading off second. Here's a pitch to Hughes. It's low and outside. Had his bat set as if to bunt, but when he saw the pitch wasn't good, pulled it back. Three balls, one strike now, the count. Benton works. 
There's the bonus going down toward third. It's fielded by Outlaw. The play will have to be over at first where Mayo is covering. And the runner, Thompson Livingston, is advanced to third on the sacrifice. Hughes is out, five to four. Third baseman to second baseman. And now a brief conference is going to be called here. As the batter becomes Claude Passeau, the pitcher. There's a runner at third. Paul Richards goes out to the mound, says a few words to Big Al Benton, and Big Rudy York comes over and joins in. The three pretty good-sized gentlemen down there. So here's the situation in the top of the seventh inning. Livingston doubled. He was advanced to third on Roy Hughes' sacrifice. And now Passeau, who has struck out twice, steps up there. He's the Cubs pitcher with a big number 13 on his back. He doesn't figure that's unlucky. Pitch to him is swung on. There's a fly ball going out into center field. It's not too deep. Doc Kramer has it. Here's Livingston touching up at third. Here comes Kramer's throw. He's got a good arm. It's going to be close, but he scores. So Paso did exactly what was expected of him. He lifted a high fly ball into center field. Thompson Livingston held on at third until the ball was caught by Doc Kramer in center field, and he beat Kramer's throw and didn't even, have, didn't even have to slide. So that is run number three for Chicago, and the Cubs lead now three to nothing. Two out in the top of the seventh inning, and the batter is Stan Hack. Hack has been hitless in three previous times up. Takes a fast call strike above the knees over the outside corner. Now button works. Hack swings, misses. Strike two on Stanley. This Hack, you know, can pilot his own airplane. Does a lot of other things, too. He's really a considerable fella. Swings on that one. That's a foul coming up toward the press stand. No balls, two strikes. The count on Stanley Camfield Hack of California. Two out, nobody on. One run in on the top of the seventh. Benton pitches, Hack swings on it, swaps it down the left field line, and it is good. Hack is rounding at first, heading in for second. Here comes Greenberg's throw in, and the throw comes into the third baseman, and it's a double for Stanley Camfield Hack. That's Hack's second double of the series. And it is his fifth hit. That's Chicago's third double today. One by Livingston, one by Lowry, and now one by Hack with two out in the top of the seventh. Livingston and Hack have both had hits off Benton, and they've both been doubles. That was a ball lashed between the third baseman, Outlaw, and the bag right down the left field line. Now the batter is Don Johnson, the second baseman, who hits right-handed. Swings and misses one. There's a strike on Johnson. This is Johnson's fourth time up today. He hasn't hit. He didn't hit yesterday either. First game, he went two for five. Johnson takes it low and inside. Ball one. One ball, one strike on Don Johnson. He's a pretty good second baseman. Johnson takes a low pitch. Ball two. Smiling Stanley Hack is leading off second. At 36, he is a honey. Ball is swung on, and it's hit deep to Mayo. Mayo bobbles it for a minute, picks it up, and the throw to first is too late. It was hit to the right of Mayo and deep at second base. Mayo came up with it. It bobbled away from him. He grabbed it. It's an error on Mayo. And incidentally, it's the first error of the series. Hack stopped at third on the play. 
That's an error on Eddie Mayo. Puts Don Johnson on at first. Moves Hack down to third. And brings up Peanuts Lowry, who has had two hits out of three times up today. And one of them was a double. And the low Peanuts, who bats right-handed. Dark complexion fellow. Has been a tough cookie this afternoon. Pitch to him is good for a call strike. Passarella's hand shot up in the air and down like a snake. Roy Johnson at first there. The coacher, who has no relation to Don Johnson, the second baseman, who's leading off first, shouts into Lowry. There's a throw over to first. Don Johnson gets back. Hack at third. Johnson at first. One run is in. In the top of the seventh, the Cubs are ahead three to nothing. Two are out. Benton stretches, delivers. Lowry leans away from it. It's a ball. On the inside in the vicinity of his Adam's apple. Speaking of Adam's apples, Paul Richards, the catcher down there, has a very prominent one. Lowry swings on one, hits it right back to the mound. Benton knocks it down, throws over to first to York, and that retires the side. So in the top of the seventh inning, one run for Chicago on two hits. They had two base runners left on, and there was one Detroit error. As we head for the last half of the seventh inning, the score is Chicago three, Detroit nothing. Now right here beside me is manager Luke Sewell of the St. Louis Brownies, famous for his ability to get the most out of young pitchers. Tell us, Luke Sewell, how do you do it? Yes, it's because I was a catcher for so many years, Bill. You know when a good catcher and pitcher team up, each contributes to the other's success. Like the Gillette Razor and Gillette uh, Blue Blade do, Luke? You said it, Bill, for those two are made for each other, so they work together perfectly, yes, and turn in the swellest performance in the shaving league. Well, thanks a lot, Luke Sewell. And remember, fans, for the slickest shades of your life, the quickest and easiest a man can have, always use today's Gillette Blue Blade in your Gillette Razor. Protect your face from the irritation caused by misfit blades and faulty shaving methods. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Here are the totals up to this point. Three runs, six hits, no errors for Chicago. No runs, only one hit for Detroit and one error. And now we move into the home half of the seventh inning. And the first batter up there for Detroit, and anxious to atone for his error, although it cost no runs, is Eddie Mayo. And this will be Eddie's third time up this afternoon. The last time he was robbed by Phil Cavaretto on a sensational stop of a hard-hit ball at first. Mayo bats left-handed. And Claude Casseau, who has pitched a very fancy one-hitter up to this point, is rubbing his hands on his britches and getting ready to go. Now he jiggles that ball up and down in his glove. Here comes the pitch to Mayo. Mayo takes it. It's a fast call strike, a curve ball above the knees on the inside corner. This chap Mayo is of Polish ancestry. He's a very swell guy. Claude Passeau delivers. It's another call strike. Oh, Passeau was very fast with that one. No balls, two strikes on Eddie Mayo. Now Big Claude bends over, winds up, delivers. Mayo swings on it. There's a ground ball going down to shortstop. Roy Hughes has it. The throw over in time by two strides. Mayo is out, shortstop to first. One away for Detroit now in the last of the seventh. The next batter is going to be Roger Kramer. He's a left-handed hitter. This is his third time up, and he hasn't hit today. Flied out to center his first time and lined one out to left. His last appearance back in the fourth inning. Kramer bats left-handed, as you all know. Hack plays him up pretty close at third. There's a call strike flipped in on Kramer by Passeau. 
Outfield plays Kramer, despite the fact he's a left-handed hitter, straight away. They don't claim to pull too much to right, a little. Kramer swings, foul tips it, strike two. Well, he was swinging hard that time. This guy Kramer started out in his life to be a carpenter, but he decided to work with this kind of wood that he's holding in his hand right now and to drive out hits instead of driving nails. Two strikes on Kramer. Claude Passo pitches. Kramer takes it. It's just outside. Two strikes on him. Now Kramer, a little bit tired of waiting for Passo, backs out of the batter's box, rubs up some dirt on his hands, takes a hefty grip on that white bat. It's almost white, light yellow. Steps in. Passo is ready to go. He's having a lot of trouble rubbing up this ball. He pitches. Kramer fouls it off. Very quiet in Briggs Stadium right now. Tigers are behind. The Cubs lead them three to nothing. It's the home half of the seventh inning. Now Paso works. Kramer takes it low into the dirt. Paso taking more and more time as the game wears on. He has a very fancy one hitter in the fire. He's working on it. Ball is swung on by Kramer. There's a long fly to deep right field. Back goes Nicholson about five feet in front of the barrier out there. He makes the catch. Kramer lifted a long high one to deep right field, and Nicholson dragged it in. That's two out. Here comes Hank Greenberg. Greenberg, who's homer, won the ball game yesterday. Stepping up there, a big right-handed batter. And there was no happier man around yesterday than uh, Hank's father from New York, a retired businessman who was out here to watch his boy perform. Greenberg yesterday in hitting that home run established for him a record of having hit a homer in four different World Series. Yesterday he hit off of Hank Wise. Earlier he had hit one off of Dizzy Dean, Charlie Root, and Dean Thompson, Junior Thompson of Cincinnati. First pitch now by Passo to Greenberg is high for a ball. One and oh. Two out, nobody on. Passo has been pitching Greenberg very cagely. Struck him out the first time. Compelled him to hit a fly to left the second time up. Here it comes. Greenberg swings, misses. That was a fast-breaking high outside curve. One ball, one strike. We look almost straight down on the home plate here. We're up practically as high as those pigeons that have been flying around here all afternoon. Here's the pitch. Greenberg swings on it. There's a tremendous high fly, not too long, going in left field. Lowry is in under it. A very high fly that Lowry now takes for the out. And that's all for Detroit in the last half of the seventh inning. At the end of seven full innings of play, the score is Chicago 3, Detroit nothing. You know, friends, you'll enjoy hearing Bill Coram summarize today's game just as soon as the last man is out. So stay tuned for Bill Coram's summary and highlights at the conclusion of our play-by-play -play report of this thrilling third game of the 1945 World Series. Now, while we're getting ready for the stage to be set for inning number eight, uh, let's see who and where we are. We pause now, 10 seconds, for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp.
Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. The first batter for the leading Chicago Cubs as inning number eight gets underway is going to be Captain Phil Cabaretta. Phil hasn't hit today. As a matter of fact, he's officially only been up once. He was walked in the first inning and then forced at second for the third out. He sacrificed in the fourth inning. And in the sixth inning, he was out on a ground ball, hit down to his opposing first baseman, Rudy York. Phil, up until today, had gone four, four, eight, as a homer and a double in his hits. Now Benton pitches him. It's a curveball inside, ball one. Phil Cavaretta, old Philly buck, as Charlie Grimm calls him. Big Al works. It's low into the dirt. Bounces away from Paul Richards. Ball two. Two and all. With the crowd all sitting here very intent on this struggle. It's a close one. Ball is swung on and hit out into right field. It's a clean single for Cavaretta. He takes a sharp turn at left, but the ball is fielded very quickly by Columbine. And Cavaretta holds on at first with a single. That off Benton is hit number three. Hit number seven in the ball game for the Cubs. So Cabaretta starts it off in the top of the eighth with a clean single to right field. Now the batter is Andy Pafko, who didn't hit yesterday and hasn't hit so far today, though he was a ball of fire the first day. Chokes up as if to bunt, but the pitch is inside. Ball one. Of course, that Tiger infield was galvanized into action. Outlaw in York charging toward the plate. And apparently, Papco does have his orders to sacrifice. He's a right-handed batter. Right-hander Al Benton pitches him. The ball is back toward the mound. Benton feels it. The throw is going to be at first, for York is covering, and the sacrifice works. So Papco sacrifices. Pitcher to first baseman. Moving Cavaretta down to second. Now here is bad Bill Nicholson. And he's got that great big chaw tobacco stowed away in his jowl there, just as he usually does. And there's that wide stance and that chin stuck out at the pitcher and that menacing attitude as he swishes his bat back and forth across the plate. Pitch to him is good, a fast one on the inside corner. Benton's got a lot of speed. At least he had it on that pitch. The next pitch is swung on. It's foul right outside of first base. Roy Johnson, the Cub coacher there, tries to field it and he can't. That's two strikes now on Bill Nicholson. Bill leads everybody in the series and runs driven in. He's batted in five of them. Big Al Benton is taking a lot of time out there. He's got two strikes on Nicholson with the runner at second. Nicholson swings and foul tips it. Bounced off the mask of the catcher, Paul Richards. Now Jimmy Shalikas, the Chicago bat boy, comes out to give the rosin bag to Nicholson. The Detroit bat boy, little Gilbert Hoy, is going down on the train tonight to Chicago. That's where the series is resumed tomorrow. And what these teams are fighting for is for the opportunity of going out of here with a two-to-one edge. Right now, Chicago leads three-to-nothing. Now, Benton is ready. Here's the pitch to Nicholson. It's a little too low. Nicholson almost started for it, then checked his swing just in time. 
Bill Cavaretta backing off second with a big 44 on his back. Here's the pitch. It's low again. Ball two. Low and inside. Benton is trying to get that third strike past bad Bill Nicholson. Now the mist grows a little heavier. It's pretty wet. The pitch is just outside. Benton was trying for the outside corner. He just missed it. And that raises the count to three balls, two strikes. A full count on Nicholson. And now here's the big pitch. Benton stretches, delivers. Nicholson swings and strikes out. Two out. Top of the eighth. The batter coming up now is Mickey Livingston, the catcher. Mickey was in the Army, but because of an injury suffered in baseball back in 1939 when he ran into a concrete dugout at night trying to catch a foul ball, he was discharged from the Army because of that head injury. That's right-handed. Swings on one now. There's a high pop-up back of shortstop. Back on the grass goes Skeeter Webb about 25 yards back and backing away. He makes the catch. So Livingston flies out to the shortstop, and that's all for Chicago in the top of the eighth inning. No runs, one hit, a base runner left on, and there were no Detroit errors. So the score at the end of seven and a half innings of play is Chicago three, Detroit nothing. Fans, you enjoy the best-looking shaves of your life, the quickest and the easiest a man ever had when you use today's Gillette Blue Blade in your Gillette razor. As manager Luke Sewell of the St. Louis Browns pointed out, teamwork counts for plenty in shaving, just as it does in baseball. To score against tough beard quickly and smoothly, your razor and blade must work together perfectly, as the Gillette combination does. Men, the Gillette razor and Gillette blue blade are made for each other. Same factory, same skilled craftsmen, same high precision standards. Thus, they fit exactly. They work hand in glove and outperform any other double-edged shaving combination that you can name. Man, what shaves you get. How quick, how easy, and how smooth and refreshing. Avoid the discomfort of misfit blades that scrape and nick your face. Remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. All right, the last half of the eighth inning. And this is next to the last chance that Detroit will have if this game is settled in regulation length. And they trail. The Cubs are out in front, three to nothing. And Claude Passo, the old master, who has pitched for years in the majors and has never had an opportunity to pitch in a World Series before today. He's out there on the mound, and he's pitched a one-hitter up to this point. And he has memories of Briggs Stadium. He pitched a, an all-star game in here in which Ted Williams beat him by slugging a ball so far that they're still looking for it. Now, here's Cullenbine up there, and that's just how far he'd like to hit one. But it won't be that one because he swings and foul tips it off. That's a strike on Cullenbine. And Cullenbein, a pretty consistent hitter for the Tigers throughout the season, is hitless so far in the series. He is 0 for 7. That's left-handed. Pitch to him is outside. A three-quarter speed ball that Paso tried to have nick the outside corner and fool Cullenbein, but it didn't. One ball, one strike on Roy. Outfield plays him to pull just a little to right, not too much. Pafko has pulled over a bit. Passo works. Cullenbine takes it high. Ball two. Two balls, one strike. This Passo, as Bill Coram told you, has a tongue nut farm down in Mississippi. Must be about time to harvest now, as a matter of fact. He hopes to get back there soon and attend to his tongue nuts. Two and one, the count on Cullenbine. 
Now it's two and two. That was a fast call strike. Passo's pacing of the situation today has been masterful. You give him a little bit of three-quarter speed stuff, a little bit of that, then he'll come whipping through with that fast one as he did then. Two balls, two strikes on Columbine. Here it comes. Columbine swings, fouls it off. Bounces over almost toward the box of Happy Chandler, who's sitting down there with the wounded veterans, who are his guests today. Two and two the count on Columbine. A new ball is put in play. Passo is rubbing it up pretty carefully. Columbine's been around a lot, as we've told you. Brooklyn, Washington, the Brownies, the Indians, the Senators. There's a high foul that Columbine lifts up and back. The count remains two balls, two strikes. Bounces off the roof of the press stand. Columbine is the first man up for Detroit in the last half of the eighth, and the Tigers are embattled. Two and two on Columbine, batting from that wide stance of his. Now Passo is ready. Here it comes. Just outside. Ball three. Now it's a full count on the first batter in the last of the eighth. And hope rises as the chant comes up from the pack stands here at Misty Briggs Stadium this afternoon. Passo working slower and slower. Comes through at the three and two pitch. It's swung on by Columbine. There's a high towering fly ball back of second base. In comes the right fielder, Nicholson, and he takes it in short right field. So Columbine flies out on the three and two pitch, and there's one away for Detroit in the last of the eight. Now the next batter is old Kickapoo, Rudy York. Rudy's always been known as a slugger. As a matter of fact, yesterday he hit the longest ball that's been hit in the series so far. A 410-foot clout out there to deep center field, and Pafco climbed up on the railing out there and stuck up one hand and robbed him. York swings on that one. It's a high foul coming back toward the press stand. Strike one. Because York has been so handy with the bat, they've had quite a time finding a spot for him. Used to be a catcher, then they moved him to the outfield. They tried him a bit at third, but now this is his sixth season at first base. That's right-handed. Let's that one go. It's outside. Ball one. One ball, one strike on Big Rudy. The reason, as all you baseball fans know, they were so reluctant to put York over at first was because Hank Greenberg, playing in the outfield now, is by trade a first baseman. I should suppose that by trade now, Greenberg is an outfielder because he's been there quite a bit. York is ready. Swings on that one. There's a long hit ball to deep center field. Over goes Papko. I think he's going to get it. And he does, going into right center field for it. Nicholson was over there, too. And now York, who is all the way around almost a second, turns and takes a look out there at Papko. Papko didn't rob him necessarily that time. A lot of center fielders could have gotten that one. But not very many center fielders could have gotten the one that Papko took away from York yesterday. Two out for the Tigers in the last of the eighth. Now the batter is Jimmy Outlaw. This is his third time up. He hasn't hit today. The pitch to him is high for a ball. Outlaw stands midway in the batter's box. He's a little fella. He's an outfielder who's been playing at third base. He just plays. He'll play anywhere for you. Pitch to him is good. A fast curveball nicks the outside corner, midway between the waist and knees. One ball, one strike on Outlaw. 
Little Jimmy is very popular with everyone everywhere. Very mild-mannered. Passo works. It's swung on by Outlaw. There's a high pop-up over the infield. Stanley Hack is drifting over near the mound. He's under it, and he's got it. So Outlaw retires aside by popping out to the third baseman. And in the last half of the eighth inning, nothing across for Detroit. And at the end of eight full innings of play, the score is three to nothing. And here, here is the uh, box total so far. Three runs for Chicago on seven hits, no errors. No runs for Detroit. They've had only one hit off Claude Passo, and they have committed one error. So that's how she all wraps up at the end of eight innings of play. And we move into the top of the ninth inning. You know, if you've never heard Bill Corum summarize a World Series game, well, be sure to stay tuned for his summary and highlights today. Bill Corum reviews the game as he sees it from the press stand immediately following our play-by-play -play report. So stay tuned in for Bill Corum of Missouri. All right, here is inning number nine. Al Benton is out on the mound there. And the big thing in the mind of the Tigers right now as we go into inning number nine with the Cubs in front three to nothing, in this the rubber game of the first three, is to get these Cubs out as quickly as possible and come in there in the last half of the ninth inning and see what can be done in behalf of the Tiger cause. The attendance figures given me here are 55,500. If they've been officially checked, that would be the largest crowd in history in Briggs Stadium, I think. If it's paid. If it's paid, I, don't, I think that's probably total. But anyway, it'll give you the idea, ladies and gentlemen, that it's a honey of a crowd here at Briggs Stadium today because this is a honey of a series. Now, here's Roy Hughes up. He bunts one back toward the mound. Benton feels it. The throw over to first is in time. Rudy York making a nice catch on it. They were trying to take a little advantage then of the fact that Al Benton is somewhat slowed down on his feet by that uh, leg fracture earlier in the season. But he came down to his right and fielded that. Here's a big hand for Claude Passau. And this, my friends, is a Detroit crowd, but they know that Passo, who has pitched a one-hitter up to this point, is a grand old pitching veteran, and they gave him his just desserts. I was talking a second ago about Benton fielding that ball. This Passo is a tremendous fielding pitcher. There's a call strike to him. Passo hasn't distinguished himself at bat today, although he did drive in a run back in the seventh inning when he lifted a fly. The other two times he struck out. There is strike two. Another fast one that Benton fogged in there. One out for Chicago now on the top of the ninth. Passo takes that pitch inside. Ball one. One and two on Big Claude from Mississippi. If he can clinch this one, this will be the highlight of his baseball career. Make no doubt of that. The pitch is outside. Two balls, two strikes now on Passo. Benton, after pitching two in there that were strikes on Passo, is getting a little careful. Here it comes, Passo swings, misses. That's the third time he struck out today. But as I've been saying, his job is to pitch, and he's been doing that magnificently. Now there's two out for Chicago in the top of the ninth, and here is Stanley Hack. Hack has a double in four times up. He's had two doubles so far in the series, and four hits out of 13 times up. There's a fast call strike that Al Benton whips in on him. It was a good one just above the knees. Hack a left-handed batter. Swings on that one. It's a ground foul outside of first base. The old hard rock, Roy Johnson, feels it and whips it over to Kickapoo Rudy York. Two strikes on Hack. 
two out, nobody on. Benton wanting to close out the Chicago business as quickly as he can. He delivers to Hack. Hack takes it high. That's a ball. One ball, two strikes. Pitch is swung on. It's bounced off the plate. There's a high. Baltimore chop. Benton gets it, throws to first, but it's too late. And Hack gets another infield hit. That's the fourth infield hit that Hack has gotten in this series. A high Baltimore chop off the plate. And Benton had nothing in the world that he could do except stand there and wait for gravity to take its course and bring that ball down out of the air, and it didn't do it soon enough. And Hack is on. So he's at first with two out, and up comes Don Johnson. This is Johnson's fifth time up this afternoon. He hasn't hit. He didn't hit yesterday either. Benton pitches him high and outside for ball one. Outfield plays Johnson straight away. Not too deep. Here it comes. Johnson takes a good, fast called strike. Curved over there. Just about waist high. One ball, one strike. There's the ball swung on. Hack is trying for second. He slides in and he's out. The throw was down to Skeeter Webb. And after Webb had him out, he bobbled the ball. And the out single signal was changed to the safe signal. And Hack is on. And it's an error on the shortstop. The second Tiger error of the ball game and the second error of the series. So Hack is on at second on Skeeter Webb's error. He had him out. Then he bobbled the ball and dropped it. Here's Johnson swinging on one and striking out. So that's all there is to the top of the ninth inning. No runs for Chicago. One hit, one base runner left on, and one Detroit error. And as the Tigers get ready to come to bat, the score is Chicago 3, Detroit nothing. Now let's see what Detroit will be doing in this last half of the night. We absolutely can't tell you what batters will be up there because the catcher, Paul Richards, and the pitcher are scheduled to come up and we may have pinch hitters for both of them, although Richards is a pretty good hitter himself. And as to whether the Tigers can come from behind here in the last half of the ninth and win the ball game, there's nothing to do except wait and see. But it is interesting to point to the fact that during the regular season, seven times the Tigers did come from behind to win in the ninth inning. Chicago did that only twice. And I believe Paul Richards is going to come up to hit. Right, Al? Yep. Richards tall, dark-haired fellow from Waxahachie, Texas. As I have said, he's the Texas Ranger type. Big, good-looking, 37-year-old veteran who's been around a long time. He's getting ready to step up there. And as he does, the box totals for the ball game stand this way. Three runs for Chicago. Eight hits. No errors. For Detroit, no runs. Only one hit off of Claude Passeau, who's down there warming up right now. And the Tigers have committed two errors. And Passeau has an opportunity here to write himself into baseball immortality. You'll have a chance to tie a record, as a matter of fact. Al's looking that up for us. Passo has been very calm. Now Richards, this is his first time up today. He came in to catch in place of Swift. Steps there, batting right-handed. Swings on the first one. Sort of a three-quarter swing, and it's a strike on him. I think Chuck Hostetler, the 40-year-older, is coming up to hit for Al Benton. Seems to be on deck. There's a strike on Richards. He's the first man up in the last of the ninth. 
That one's pitched low into the dirt, and it bounds away from Thompson Livingston back toward the stands. But it's a ball. One and one is the count on Richards. Every pitch counts tremendously here now. This is Custer's last stand for the Tigers. Last of the ninth, and the Cubs are ahead three to nothing. Passer works. Richard swings. There's a high pop-up down the first baseline. Cavaretta is over near the coaching box. He's under it, and Cavaretta's got it. And Richards is out, and that's one down for Detroit in the last of the ninth. Richards fouling out to the Chicago first baseman. Now here's Chuck Hostetler coming up. Hostetler, you know, was up in the ninth inning of the first ball game. He's a left-handed hitter, an outfielder by trade. When he came up the first time, back in game number one, as a pinch hitter in the last of the ninth, he was thrown out by Roy Hughes, the shortstop of the Cubs. Let's see what Hostetler, a 40-year-old veteran, can do now. Here's the pitch to the left-handed battery, fouls it off. That's a strike. I believe that Johnny McHale, the former Notre Dame star, is going to be the next hitter, probably coming up as a pinch hitter for Skeeter Webb. That's what happened in the first game also. One strike on Hustetler. I saw his five strikes away now. Hustetler takes. It's a fast call strike. A beautiful delivery by Passo. Oh, that was magnificent. Hostetler standing there with his eye on that ball. Hostetler comes from Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Lives in the shadow of the old summit. Two strikes on him. Claude Passo, the sturdy guy from Mississippi, is ready. Here it comes. It's just outside. Ball one. One ball, two strikes. And here, my friends, is baseball drama in the making. Claude Passo, grand old veteran in his first World Series game. Pitched a one-hitter up to this point. He's got one man out, and he's got two strikes on the second batter. Passo works. Hostetler swings on it. There's a ground ball to the left of the shortstop. Hughes has it, and he throws him out on a brilliant play. And again, it's Hughes who does away with Hostetler in the last half of the ninth, just as he did in game number one here two days ago. So Hostetler is out, and that's two out. And here's big Johnny McHale, who was brought in as a potential outfielder to help fill in the gap left when Dick Wakefield went off to the armed forces this year. McHale, as we've told you, was a baseball and basketball star, but principally baseball at Notre Dame University. He's a tall left-handed hitter. Pitch to him is on the inside. When McHale came up as a pinch hitter here in game number one, he lifted a high fly to the center fielder, Papko. McHale, incidentally, is a Detroit boy, so he's playing in his own backyard. Swings on that one, beats it into the ground, foul. That's a strike. One ball, one strike on Johnny McHale. Two out, nobody on, last of the ninth. And McHale is the last hope of Steve O'Neill and the Tigers in this third game. And Passo, who has a beautiful one-hitter in the fire, is anxious to close it out. Here it comes. McHale swings on it, hits it, foul on the ground down the third baseline. Two strikes. And Passo is one strike away from hanging up a shutout over the Tigers. One man has pitched a one-hit game in one series. He was with the Cubs 
That was Ruhlbach back in 1906. Two strikes is the count now on McHale. Here's the pitch. It's a little too high. Now the count is ball two and strike two. Two out. Nobody on. Home half of the ninth inning. Chicago with the victory in her grasp. And Paso working hard for it. Now the tongue nut farmer pitches. McHale fouls it off. And the count remains. Two balls, two strikes. And Paso, who it was thought might not pitch this year on account of that calcification in his elbow that came from a fracture 15 years ago, is in here in the last half of the ninth in the World Series. McHale swings on one. There's a high foul coming up and back. Back comes the catcher, Mickey Livingston. He's under it. He's got it. The ball game is over. That's all. He fouls out to the catcher. No runs for Detroit in the last half of the ninth inning. And the final score is Chicago 3, Detroit nothing. Chicago, three runs, eight hits, no errors. Detroit, no runs, one hit, and only two errors. Stay tuned now for Bill Coram's colorful summary of today's thrilling baseball game. He's on his way from the press section up behind us, fans, and he'll be here in just a few seconds. In making your contribution to the Community War Fund, folks, put your dollars to work three ways. First, through USO clubs and camp shows and the United Seamen Service, your dollars bring recreation and comforts to our servicemen and women whose morale and well-being must be our concern until every one of them is returned home. Second, through the 19 agencies in the National War Fund, your dollars bring food, clothing, and shelter to millions of war victims in allied countries overseas. Third, your dollars bring health, welfare, recreation, and guidance services to every community here at home. That's what I call getting a lot for your money. So let's all be generous in victory. Give plenty to the Community War Fund. And now here with his eyes sparkling and thrilled by this magnificent game is our old friend, the syndicated sports columnist that everyone knows, Bill Corum. Bill? Only one story, one man in this ball game today, Bill Slater. That was Claude Passo, the big right-hander from down, way down yonder in Mississippi, who at 36 years of age came back on this misty gray day in the World Series of 1945 and did a thing that only one pitcher in 43 World Series had ever done before. That was Big Ed ruled back back in 1906 against the hitless wonder, wonders in that all Chicago series when he pitched a one hitter but not as good a ball game as this according to the record. Naturally, I didn't see that one, but Ruleback did give up a run, won his game 7-1, to one, and therefore must have given more than one base on balls, which was all Paso gave here this afternoon. Second best pitcher for the Cub team this year after it was highly doubtful whether he would pitch at all for two reasons, because he'd had an operation on his arm and bone calcium there, and also because he was a tongue oil farmer and is down in Mississippi, and that's a very important industry down there. I didn't know what it was until I asked the professor here, Bill Slater, but it's some kind of tree with the oil uh, from the roots, I believe, and anyhow, a big industry, and it looked as if he might have to stay on his farm because of defense work, but he came back and scored a great season, had a great season, won 18 ball games, and today made himself a baseball immortal that they'll be talking about as long as these World Series are played, and we hope in America that will be forever or as long as there is a foreseeable time. The Cubs started moving against Overmeyer in the fourth after Stubb had held them to one single up to that point. Peanuts Lowry, who had got that one hit, opened the fourth with a ringing double off the left field screen. 
Cabaretta moved him to third with a sacrifice butt, and then Pafco drew a base on ball. The large Swish Nicholson was walking knee-deep in a field of four-leaf clovers when his little Texas League pop fly dropped among Kramer, Webb, and Greenberg in short left center. Lowry loped home on it, just the same it was a run, as big as any run, shot with luck though it was. Pafco pulled up at second, and when Livingston flied to short, to short center, Kramer, both runners having to hold, it looked as though Stubby might be going to get by without further damage. But Roy Hughes got to him for a single to right to score Pafco, with runners on first and second, however, Paso failed to improve his own cause when he went down swinging on strikes for the second straight time. Incidentally, Cullen Bynes, the goat of this series so far, hitless, and though he's been one of the stalwarts of the Tigers, not too strong a field, might have made a f- had a first-rate chance to throw Pasco out at the plate on Hughes' short single. But for some odd reason, possibly a mental aberration, he didn't even elect to try, carrying the ball almost to the infield after he had made one motion to throw. It was a two-bagger, this one by the hard-swinging Mickey Livingston off the right field screen that started the Little Bears off to their third and final run in the seventh. Hughes sacrificed Mickey to third, and this time Paso came through with a run-scoring fly to center. Kramer's throw being high and having scant chance anyhow. Hack then doubled past third, and Mayo came up with the first area of the series on Johnson's wrap to put runners on first and second. But Lowry left him stranded when he grounded to Benton, who tossed peanuts out at first. Now, there was one other error in the game, and those are the only two errors that have been in this entire series, both by the Tigers, one by Mayo, and the other, Skeeter Webb at short on an attempted steal when he got the runner and then dropped the ball. There have been several pitchers in World Series history who pitched two hitters. Monty Pearson, I remember, back there against the Reds in 1939. Old stubblebeard Burley Grimes against the A's for the Cardinals in 1931. Also, I believe, Wade Hoyt, Mordecai Brown, and... Big Moose Earnshaw, and I know Mort Cooper last year against the Browns. But there have been no games that I have seen, and this is my 28th series, 27 of which I've covered, seen ever play an ever inning of 27 series. The other time I had to pay my way in and uh, only saw two games, didn't have much money. But uh, since I've been getting in on a pass, I've seen every inning of every World Series game for 27 years, and I've never seen a better performance than this 36-year-old veteran, this big, tall, limber right-hander with a variety of stuff. He's no one kind of pitcher, Paso, a variety pitcher with a fastball when he had to have it on this gray afternoon, a nice breaking curve, up and down, in and out, all the little dicky stuff and slow stuff that had these hard-swinging and normally hard-hitting Tigers hitting them up in the air. A grand performance, the best pitching performance I have ever seen, and I think most of the boys over in the press box, some of whom have seen many more games than I have even, will agree that never before in their time, nobody, I'm sure, goes back to rollback, in their time, nobody has pitched better ball than Claude Paso did this afternoon, and all hail to him and all cheer to the winning team, the Cubs, but the Tigers are not through yet, I'm sure, and when we go down to Chicago, we may see them fighting back as they did all through the American League pennant race. Tomorrow we bring you the fourth game of the 1945 World Series from Wrigley Field in Chicago. Make a note that we'll be on the air at 1.15 Eastern Standard Time, the same as today. Until then, folks, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Al Helper, Bill Slater, and your friend Bill Coral. Remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed.